Hey, morning, everyone. Good to see you here. My name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors. That's Mary, if you haven't met her yet. She's so great. I think she usually comes to this service. So, yeah, she's just awesome. I love her. Um, uh, gosh, I, you know, I was watching that video of Bill, and it kind of made me think, like, if you're watching the Weather Channel and there's a hurricane rolling in, you know how they, like, have to yell at the camera because, you know, to hear you... I felt like he was doing that, even though it looked nice and sunny. And like, there's no, no problem. So let's be sure to make fun of him for that when he gets back. Um, uh, also, just want to say, we're, we're going to finish out a series we've been working on this week. And I'm a little intimidated because I got I to follow up after Maurice. So uh, Maurice spoke last week. And ah, he's so tough to follow. He just, Maurice is such a fun, winsome, awesome, cool guy. Just look at it. He's just such a great, awesome guy. And uh, my kids like him more than they like me. And so it's just, it's a, t- it's a tough thing. I've been trying to think this week, like, is there anything that Maurice and I have in common that I can, like, try to build off of? And the only thing I can come up with is he's got a Jurassic Park t- shirt on. And I've seen Jurassic Park. So, um, you know, we're like the same guy, I guess. But, um, but we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, what, what we want to do is we're going to finish up the series. If you're new, we'll get you caught up real quick. Uh, what it is, is we've been talking about the series called Custom Made. The idea is that God actually custom made us to be in a relationship with Him, to know Him, actually know God. And then what, what's crazy is I think so many people sometimes leave it at that or leave it at church attendance and never get to the part that says God custom made you like a tool in His hand to actually do something in the world with Him. It's incredible. The kind of mind-blowing thought. And in fact, until we as, if you call yourself somebody who's trying to follow Jesus, until we figure out what tool we are, how God wants to use us, and what that task is ahead of us, I don't know that we'll ever feel totally fulfilled. It's just in our nature, the way God's wired us, we are custom made to be used in the hand of God. So that's what we've been talking about. We've been trying to figure out how are we gifted? How do we use that? What does God want us to do in the world? God is on this mission to bend the world back toward what the kingdom of God looks like. And He wants to use you in that project. That's what we've been talking about these last few weeks. We've been looking at the different gifts. Guys, the Spirit, God's Spirit gives gifts in almost like this supernatural way that you can use, that that He can use you in this task of His. So we've been been looking at that. And what I want to do today is to end this up. I want to I talk about one that I'm passionate about and I think is probably one of the more challenging ones to talk about. This, this is a gift that you see over and over again in the New Testament, and yet I think this gift is actually the forgotten gift. It, it's the gift that I think many of us have, don't realize, I actually think all of us are called to, and yet for the reasons that we'll talk about in a second, This gift has, in a way, kind of disappeared from our conversation a little bit. When I say the word, you'll know why. Over and over again, you see this word used in the New Testament. It's the gift of evangelism. Just let the word sink with you for a second. How does it make you feel? Evangelism. It's the, the original word itself of evangelism means good news. 
An evangelist is someone that actually brings good news to other people. It, it is the idea that we share our faith. For those of us in this room that would call yourself a Christian, we would share our faith in Jesus in a way with other people that might even convince or persuade them to follow after God. But how many of us would we say and step back and go, man, we don't necessarily like that word. We, we don't, we, we've had negative experiences with it. There's the original meaning of the word, which is great, bring good news. But then there's the reality of how maybe some of us have been wounded or we've seen this just be awful. And in fact, uh, there's a guy named George Barna who does, he's kind of a church statistician guy he would report that Christians would report that only, only 2% of Christians would say that they have this gift, 2%. It seems funny to me that God would only gift 2% of people with this. Something tells me there's something wrong here. I, I got to admit, um, my first experience with this, with evangelism, was not good. Sharing my faith, not, not a good thing. Uh, I... I came to faith in high school around my senior year, and I, um, I went with a group that uh, was a Christian group, not affiliated with a church, went with a group to California, and it was a trip out there, a lot of fun, a lot of my friends were going, and we had a day where we were supposed to go down to the beach, I think it was like Ventura Beach or something. So we, we head down to the beach, and before, I, I'm like totally pumped, you know, I never get to go to the beach, so I get to go hang out at the beach, and we show up, and the leader pulls us aside, and he says, hey, before you get in the water, I got something I want you to do for the next two hours. He hands us these booklets, and I look at the booklet, and I'm, I'm brand new to the faith. I look at the booklet, and it's this just kind of walkthrough of what it means to follow God. He says, I want you to take these booklets, and I want you to walk around this beach, and I want you to introduce yourselves to people. And I want you to try to convince them to follow God. Here, so now, here you go. And I want you to do this for the next two hours. And then we're going to huddle up and talk about it. Sound like fun? Um, so I, I go out, and I'm 17 or whatever, and I start walking around the beach, and I'm, I'm just like, I'm like terrified. Of this. I mean, I'm still getting like cringies right now, you know. I, I go around and I'm like sharing with people and every, I mean, person after person is just shutting me down. And finally I get to this one guy, he's um, his dad with his wife and a, some kids sitting on a towel and they're hanging out. I mean, they're just, they're just eating their In-N-Out burger, right? Trying to have a good California day. And I come up, 16-year-old me, and introduce my, hi, Anja. And he's, he, he, he goes, what do you want? And I handed him the book. And I start talking, and he just stops me. I'll never forget. He looks at me, and he just goes, all right, will you please just leave me alone? I am just here to hang out with my family. I just want some peace. I do not need you trying to sell me anything. And I took the book, and I said, okay, sorry, and walked off. And, and the group of high schoolers that I was with all kind of gathered up together later, and some of them had amazing stories of like God did something really cool and uh, I'm not disputing that God can't do amazing things through things that maybe aren't the way you ought to do them even. But I, I personally 
walked away convicted that day that I had actually pushed people away from God, that I had actually pushed people away from the church. I had actually reinforced a notion of what it means to be a Christian that was negative in people's minds. And I, I was deeply influenced by, by that moment. And, and again, that doesn't mean that God can't use things like that, but I walked away going, that to me was impersonal. It was canned. There was nothing relational about it. There was nothing in that moment that said I actually cared about the person that I was trying to share with. And that doesn't, to me, in my little young faith, didn't seem to reflect the Jesus that I had known. Guys, what do we do with that? I bet some of us in this room have stories like that, or maybe we or others felt really uncomfortable about this idea of evangelism. Does that mean we just throw it away, though? What is a healthy way forward for us? We live in a place where this question really matters. Because what I think many folks would say is if you're trying to share your faith with somebody else, you're actually saying that your faith is more important than the faith that they have, and therefore, you're arrogant. Is there truth to that? Guys, there's a reason I think there's only 2% of us that would say that this is something that is how we're gifted. And all these questions I think are important for us to get to if we are going to have a serious look at what I think is actually kind of clear in the New Testament that we are called to share our faith. But man, this stuff can go wrong. So let's, let's have a serious chat today about this, all right? Lord... Help us with this. This ain't an easy topic. I pray, God, that you would help us to see how you have gifted us in this, uh, to see why, to see where it comes from. And, and Lord, we pray that you would use us in the world around us in a way that is appealing and winsome to the people that you have blessed to put in our paths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. I want us to look at a passage that Jesus... uh, that Jesus shared. And, and just, you know, here, here's where we're coming from on this, that we, we think Jesus actually was God who came to earth. And so when he talks, we want to actually listen. If you want to know what the words of God are for our lives, then we think you, you read what Jesus said. And so Jesus came, lived among us, healed people, was generous, cared so deeply, unbelievable guy died, and then to show who he was, he actually rose again from the dead three days later. And then he spent some time with his followers. He spent some time with them, giving them some last thoughts before he was gone again. I think it's kind of important to think, like, he had this little window after he had risen from the dead. What was so important to share when you rise from the dead? What is so important to share before you know you're going to be gone? Man, these last words of Jesus ought to be something we ought to look at really carefully. I want to look today at the last words in the book of Matthew. Matthew's one of the four Gospels that we record the life of Jesus. You're going to get it right here, what his last words to his followers were. Man, and it applies to us. Here it comes. So in Matthew chapter 28, last last chapter in Matthew, it says, then Jesus came to them. Them, them is the disciples. Uh, the disciples um, were his followers. A dis- th- that word disciple just means a follower. 
If, if you call yourself a Christian, then you're a disciple. There, there's no such thing as being a Christian with not being a follower of Jesus. They're synonymous terms. So that's important because anything that you see then in the Scripture that refers to a disciple, if you call yourself a Christian, then you're saying that, that applies to me. And that's important for this passage we're about to read. So Jesus comes to his disciples, his followers, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Check that out. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Some of us are real familiar with this passage. Don't let the familiarity rob you of the gravity of the statement. Okay, if, the, if, this is, if Jesus isn't who he said he is, that this is God on earth, then this is like cult city right here. This is run away. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Guys, all authority means I'm not just like a part-time authority on earth and I get like a quarter time in heaven. Uh, you know, I, I'm not just getting my input a little bit here and there. All authority means Jesus is saying he gets to make the call. If you have authority in something, what do you get, what do you get the privilege of doing? You get the privilege of making decisions. You get the privilege of deciding the route that things are going to go. When you have authority, that's what you do. Jesus is saying, I've got all authority, 100% authority on earth and in heaven. Jesus gets to decide the path forward for everything. Everything is for him to decide moving forward. And his goal is, right, we, we start the entire Bible with heaven and earth together. That there's beauty, there's harmony, everything's working just as God intended it. Sin enters the world when we decide to go a different way, right? It breaks that relationship. Man, and God is working ever since to move it right back. And you see it at the very end of the scripture, heaven and earth come together again. So, so Jesus, Jesus' uh, mission here is how will the kingdom of God advance? How will we move those things back together? He's got all the decision-making. It's all up to him. So what's his strategy? As the leader, what's he going to choose is the next thing? And here's the thing. The next word is the word therefore. So the, the word therefore tells you that here, here's... Because I have all authority, therefore, here's what I want you to do. Here's the plan. What's going to be his plan? Look what he says. Therefore, I want 2% of you to go and make disciples of all nations. I couldn't resist. That's a joke. That's not in there. That's not the real passage. No, here's what he says. He says, therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Therefore, go. Guys, let's just stop for a second and, and recognize um, God has lots of options. That's one of the nice things about being God is that you have tons of options available to you. If, if Jesus' mission is to bring heaven and earth together, right, to see the kingdom of God expand, he could have done it a lot of different ways. He could have snapped his fingers and changed people's minds. He could, have, he could do whatever he wants. And instead, for some reason, he's choosing us. His plan is sitting in the seat next to you and sitting in your own seat. It's, it, we are the chosen plan to bring forward what God wants to do in the world. 
And so he's saying, therefore, because I've got all authority, therefore, go, imperative verb, go, get off your couch. There's urgency. Go now. Do this. Don't sit back. Don't wait. This is important. Go and make disciples. Right? Another imperative, make disciples. Here's the interesting thing about this. Um, it, if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, the way I read this says it, it's not then just about us figuring out how do we, how do I follow Jesus more. This to me is an imperative, one of the last words that Jesus says on earth, is an imperative that says part of what it means to be a disciple is that you continually are thinking about how do I make other disciples? How do I draw other people toward Jesus? It's not sitting around just saying, uh, how do I make myself grow? How do I become closer to God? It's how do I help other people grow closer to God? This is huge. A disciple is someone who helps make other disciples by definition here, what you see in Jesus. For those of you who are in school, think of it this way. If you're in math, it's not just, what if it wasn't just how do I learn math and get good at math myself so that I can pass a test? What if your teacher said, your job isn't just to learn the material, your job is to learn the material or know or become the kind of person so much that you can actually teach math to other people? So, I'm like, my sons would be terrified by this. This is a, this is a paradigm shift. But this is what Jesus is calling us to do as people that are his followers. He's saying it's not just you. It's a paradigm shift that says, how do I make other disciples as well? Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations. All ethnicities. He's saying any group. He's saying that my offer of, of love and forgiveness for human beings is good for anybody, anywhere, anytime. And it kind of makes sense. If Jesus is the one who created the earth and everything in it, it would make sense that he would want all people in that to come back to him and follow him. But now again, let's go back to the question we asked because this, don't just breeze over this. The question around, is it arrogant to be an evangelist? This is, these are interesting words from Jesus. Jesus saying, go out into all the earth to any place where they may already have belief systems that are different. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. To baptize means, look, if I start my life going this direction away from God, to baptize is a public statement that says I'm turning direction and coming back, right? You guys see when we do our baptisms, and we'll do it this fall, and I'm telling you, I hope if you haven't been baptized before, you should do that because it's this beautiful public statement of saying, this is my life, and I'm symbolically going under the water, and I'm coming back out of the water, and I'm symbolically saying that my life has changed now. This is a new life, baptizing them. So go out into all the world, introduce them to Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying in this passage. And, and, and teach them to change their direction, to move away from a life that was toward themselves perhaps and then back toward me. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That last phrase is so key. It doesn't just end with, I go to church, uh, or, or I say a prayer, I go to church, I get baptized, and then I'm done, right? That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is constantly wrestling with what does Jesus want from me? 
What does everything I have commanded you mean? That means, that means really soaking ourselves in the teaching of Jesus so much that they start to bubble up in who we are. And we do that until the day we die. But again, Jesus is saying, don't just do this for yourself. He's saying, do this for other people too. Commit your life to that. This is a radical statement. This is, it's called the Great Commission. You know, last words of Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm commissioning you to go now and do this. And as followers of Jesus, this wasn't just for the guys he was talking to then. This is for us today. So I, I want to ask, you know, this, this isn't just the church that uh, as an institution that is saying, hey, we need to go recruit people because we need enough money to survive and we need to have our organization thrive. Evangelism doesn't just come from the church. This, these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of our Lord coming out. And, and I look at this, and especially in a place like where we live, I look at this and go, we have to ask the question, is this arrogant? Is, is Jesus arrogant with this statement, and would we be arrogant to try to persuade other people to follow in Jesus' footsteps rather than the footsteps that they might be currently following? Because make no mistake, when Jesus says that, the people he is sending uh, his followers out to are Greeks and Romans and wherever they live. They've already got their own belief systems. It appears here that Jesus is saying, go and persuade them to follow me instead. What do we do with this? And I wonder if for some of us, the reason why maybe we find ourselves in the 98% that would say we don't have this gift is we kind of don't want it because we don't want to be labeled as arrogant, you know? So how do, how do we think about this in such a way that maybe recaptures the heart? Um, let me, I, this is a hugely complex topic. Let's just admit it. And, and I'll, I'll give you a way of thinking about this and uh, not, not saying this is the only way to think about it, but I'm saying this is one way to think about it that maybe helps explain it and maybe helps us take a positive step forward on what do we actually do now with this. I think there's a couple different kinds of people that come to church. I'm going to put them up here for you. I think there are uh, some people that may initially come into a faith community, a church setting, because what they want is they want to find somewhere that will help them live a good life. They want to be ethical. They want to be good people. They want to find morality, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, um, gosh, we had all these kids coming, and like none of them came from church families at all. Uh, so many kids. And I remember thinking like, are their parents cool with them coming to this? Because, you know, we were talking about Jesus, sharing who Jesus is with, with that would they be uncomfortable with that? And I remember talking to some parents once who had no church background, and they just said, we love it that our kids are coming. Because we know that when they come, they're getting some great morals and great ethics, and that's what we want. We want them to be great people. And so we have so many people, and maybe a lot of us in this room, would say that the, the reason that we're part of a church community is because we want to be good people. And so what we do is, if we're after morals, then we try to collect great moral principles. So I think the result then, there's two kinds of principles. Did I get the right one? 
Okay, good. Yeah, I went to Fairview, so I'm sure I can spell. Yeah. Um, we, we come after morals, and we start to find and want to collect as many great principles as we can. And so if Jesus says, uh, do unto others, the, uh, you know, as you would have done unto yourself, that's a fantastic moral principle that is worth living by. But a, a moralist might also say, um, man, I, you know, Buddha has this teaching that I think is fantastic, and Muhammad says this that I think is unbelievably ethical and just right thinking. And so part of what a moralist will want to do is collect as many great principles as they can and look for overlapping themes that will help them live their lives. What they ultimately want to do is they want to take those principles and they want to practice them. You know, we, we want to put those into practice. And so we're, we're, um, we are moral, we are collecting principles that we can then put into our practice and be great people. That's, that's a lot. In fact, there are some studies out there that talk about the kinds of people that are in churches in America. Someone would say that this comprises the majority of churches in the U.S., the people going to church in the U.S., that this is the foundational area of where that's coming from, okay? Now, let me ask you this. If this is, if this is the camp that you find yourself in, of course evangelists bug you. If somebody is trying to convince you that their way is superior to some other kind of way, you're going to come at it from the angle of that's completely, they're missing the point. Because the point for a moralist is I want to collect as many principles as I can together, find the best ones, and try to live them out. It doesn't matter which ones are better than other or that the idea that one way would be the only way to follow, that would defeat the point for a moralist. I need, to, I need as much input as I possibly get so I can practice this in my life. Does that make sense? You can see why people that um, come at it from an evangelistic standpoint would get a bad name with this that, because it's a worldview. It is a way of looking at the world that is fundamentally different than the next one that I'm going to share with you. So here, here's what I think the next group approaches this, and this is people in churches. There's another group that doesn't start necessarily looking for morals. They might and change this. We don't know. But there's another worldview that is relationship worldview. I'm in this camp. Here's why. So when I was a high school kid, I was headed down a bad path. My parents are in the room. Mom and dad, this is not your fault, okay? Where are you guys? It's not your fault, okay? Let's just say that. I'm a human being that got caught up in all kinds of stuff, who um, got confused and just, man, I, I was far, far, far from anything beyond my parents, who I love, that was healthy. I was seeking out all kinds of stuff that was harmful to me. Those of you who knew me then can attest. I was headed down a wrong path. I had, I had a sense of a loss of hope in all that. And a sense that um, I wasn't sure like what, what life actually was about beyond just trying to impress people in the moment or trying to hit a baseball well. And it seemed empty. 
I had somebody who I respected, who was close to me, who saw kind of where I was heading. And he talked to me one day. He was an evangelist. And he said, you know, Jim, I, I see what's going on in your life. I love you. This was in, you know, 17-year-old language. I'm not sure exactly how this played out. This is what I remember. I see where you're headed in your life. I'm concerned about you. I don't know that, that you should keep going the direction you're going. And he said, one thing that has mattered to me is this guy, Jesus. He's, he's actually helped me live differently. And I remember thinking at first, really? Because my impression of the church and of Christians, my impression was this. This is what most people look at the church and think, right? That it's really just about morality. I remember literally thinking something along the lines of like, why would I ever want to go to church when it's a little elementary school of morality? I don't need that. I don't need somebody else who doesn't know me telling me the principles to live my life. You know, I don't, that's not who I am. What happened, though, is based on this conversation that he had with me, I remember sitting in my room one night, and I opened a Bible that I had got from this uh, step-grandparent of mine who lived in Arkansas and was a pastor of uh, a church that operated out of the trailer park that he ran. And he had turned one of the trailers into a church, all the pews in there. And every Sunday, he'd preach to anybody in the trailer park. They would come listen. Gave me a Bible when I was a kid. I pulled out this Bible, and I started reading, and I noticed that some of the letters were red. And I'm like, that's interesting. I've never read a book before where some letters are red and others aren't. I started reading the red letters, because why not? It turns out, as a lot of you know, that those were the words of Jesus. And so I'm reading the words of Jesus. I had no concept for who he was or what he was doing. I just, I had a sense that, um, that he was important. And I started reading these red letters, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's awesome. This guy, I can't believe some of the stuff he's doing. You know what I noticed most of all? I noticed that every time he ran into somebody that was like me, whose life had gone off this way, I instinctively expected him to meet them with words of shame. And instead, every time things came out of his mouth, it was love and generosity and care and forgiveness. And I started to think to myself, oh my gosh, maybe this extends to me too. I went further in. I started reading more. I started asking questions. I, I can't tell you this happened overnight, but I do remember at some point praying to God, God, if this is actually real, then I'm in. I had to tell you, I had a moment, I don't think I've had a moment like it since, where I had the most profound sense of grace and peace sweep over me. It was like God was in the room saying to me, um, I love you. I've seen what you've done, and it doesn't matter to me. I get a little teary here talking about this. The reason is I didn't come after it with this. In fact, it's just the opposite. 
He came looking for me. And I'll tell you, the, the profound sense I have in my life of feeling like God rescued me has resulted in one thing, and that is love. I love that guy. Man, uh, Jesus, I will follow where that guy goes because I trust him. You know, he, he said something that I think was one of the most important things and, and something I try to remember as often as I can. He just said, you know, the person who has been forgiven a little bit loves a little bit. The person who has been forgiven much loves greatly. Isn't that true? If, you, if, if someone has extended grace to you for something that it feels massive, you love them. That's where I find myself. I find myself going, oh my gosh, I, I was a mess and I got rescued and I have a relationship with God that results in love. And so for me, it's kind of unthinkable to not do this. Like, I, 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 can, I can say I want to share this because it's a relationship I have with somebody that has resulted in love, and, I, man, I'm so excited about it. How could I not share this? And yet, you can see why this group gets annoyed with this group. You can see why this group would say that this is arrogant, that this is hypocritical, that um, this might be judgmental. Well, let me ask you a question. Why? Why would this group have that reaction to this group? Here's my theory. It's because sometimes it is. Right? Sometimes, even though this ought to be the foundation of humility and love and relationship, man, how many times have Christians been the worst at being hypocritical and arrogant when instead it ought to flow out of us with a love that we cannot possibly help but share. Man, there's a, um, there's a passage, man, and I gotta tell you too, it's like, um, this isn't just the words of Jesus, it's all over the New Testament. It's all over the New Testament about sharing your faith, the importance of it. There's a passage uh, in uh, 1 Peter. So there's a guy named Peter who's following Jesus who wrote a couple letters, First and Second Peter. And you can find him in the Bible. There are these letters that he wrote. And, and the context of 1 Peter, this letter, is that he's writing it to this group of people who were experiencing a really difficult time and hostility about what it meant to be Christian. Man, if you think, you think it's a challenge to be a Christian now in our day and age, like I personally just think back then in ancient Rome, holy cow, and how the emperor saw things. And I mean, it's so hard to say that anybody other than the emperor was running the show. And that's what Christians were doing. They were saying Jesus had all authority on heaven and earth. And so, they, so Peter writes this letter saying, here's how you hang in there in this. So 1 Peter 3 has this great comment. He says, he says to the people, hey, always, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to share your story. Always be ready to share with other people why you love this Jesus. And 
sometimes we as Christians have been guilty of taking that little passage, and that means that we come ready to argue, ready to put it in your face, ready to make sure that you know what we think, and we forget the next little passage. Guys, this is why it's so important. This is a little, another little example why it's so important. I don't care if it's me or whoever. Anybody ever gives you a, a verse of Scripture, you always read the ones around it to make sure you know what the context is. This one's important for this. Always be ready to have a reason for the hope that you have. And the passage goes on, do this with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. There is nothing wrong with having a conviction. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, to not have a conviction about your faith and what you think and sharing that with other people, I think actually goes against the teachings of Jesus. If I weren't to share my faith with other people, I would feel disobedient. Like that's part of who I want to be. But man, we can do that with gentleness and respect. So here's, here's what I want you to think. Here's what I want you to know this week. I hope you walk out of this room knowing this phrase, evangelism always comes from love. It always comes out of our love for Jesus. It always comes out of our love for other people. I do not think I had either one of these when I walked up with those people on that beach. I was 0 for 2 on the love factor there. It always flows out of our love for Christ and always flows out of our love for other people and that means we will do it with gentleness and respect. I want you to know that this week. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to actually put something into practice this week around this. Uh, first thing is this. If you find yourself and you go, that's actually me. I'm in this camp. First, I hope you hear zero judgment here from me. Like, this is, this I think is the majority of people that are in churches. Like, what I want you to do this week, though, is I want you to ask, why? Is it because maybe you've never had, like, I, I share that experience that I had with, with Christ. Maybe some of you are sitting there going, I never had that. Maybe it starts with a conversation with God going, where, where are you in that? Why, why do other people get to see you and I don't? But maybe it starts with asking the question, like, why am I in this camp? Here's what I want to say. I, put my email up there. If, if, if you are a part of this camp and you, something I said has rubbed you wrong or you have questions about this, I would love, 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 love to be in a dialogue with you about this. Email me, please. I would love it if I got emails this week on that from anybody who finds himself here. If you find yourself in this camp, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a very little cheesy way to end a sermon, okay? I want you to take a pill this week. It's a little acronym. Here, here's, here's what I want you to do. First thing is, I want you to pray for somebody. I, I want you to think, who is it that you know in your life that you feel like has run far away from God? Would you please commit this week, identify them and pray for them? And in fact, in a second, I'm going to give you a chance to do it. I want you to pray. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to invest in them. Would you take a second this week and write a note to somebody who you feel likes run away from God? It, man, this would take courage on your part. Write them a note. Give them a call. Just check on them. 
not out of manipulation or anything like that, just because you care about them. Give them a call this week. And the last thing I want you to do is I want you to listen to them. Okay? Here's something worth remembering. The kind of evangelism that I think the world needs right now, 100% of the time will start with your ears, not with your mouth. We got to listen to people. What's going on in their lives? What's being, what's being challenging? Why do they think the way that they think? Teach me. Be open. Listen, listen, listen. Man, there's a million things we could talk about beyond this. Let's start here this week. Let's see what God would do in the lives of the people that he's put in your life for, for a reason. Let's see what God would do if we did this. I want to take a second. I'm going to give you a moment of silence where you can just talk to God about this wherever you're at. Maybe it's identifying this person. I'll give you a second to pray about that, and then I'll close this in prayer. So, God, we want to give you a moment here to have a conversation with you about this. God, thank you so much that you love us this much, that you chase us down. Ugh. Would you identify the people right now or just let us talk to you about this stuff? And, and would you speak to us about what you want us to do uh, this coming week? We love you, Lord. We, uh, we want to follow you. Thank you for uh, the heartbeat of the people in this church that um, love people enough to share with gentleness and respect. Would you make that a hallmark of who we are? In Christ's name, amen.